Anyway, so guys, uh, today we're going to be talking about tapping into the presence of God. Um, I just, I, I, when I think about what we need to do, so we're, we're in a series that's going to go all month long, and it's called Victim to Victor. It's going from being a victim, going all the way through that and becoming a victor on the other side. And so, um, so one of the things that we need to do is uh, our, our first step is going to be breaking strongholds. To the, 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 the key to breaking strongholds is first to admit that they exist. Because I think a lot of times what happens, we have so many Christians that we often picture the devil in every shadow. Sometimes the shadow is a shadow, folks. Or we picture him as a little cartoon character with a red tail and a red suit and red horns and a pitchfork. It seems that Christians either place him everywhere or nowhere. We need to understand that we are, as a Christian, the moment we are born again, or, or as we just uh, sang about, or, or redeemed, the moment that we are redeemed, we enter into a battlefield whether you want it or not. Whether you asked for the fight or not, it's coming. Because the moment you become a child of God, you become an enemy of the devil. So the first thing that I need to understand is that, one, there is an enemy, and he hates my guts, and he's coming after me. And everything that I hold dear... So I need to understand that. And, and here's the thing is that the devil seeks to deceive you, to trick you. In fact, there's a, a great quote. Um, it, was in a, it was in a poem, and it says, The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he doesn't exist. There's a lot of churches that would even call themselves Christians that have come to the point that they believe in heaven, but they don't believe there is a hell. And guess what? There is a heaven. Heaven is for real, and so is hell. Hell is a real place, not a figure of speech. It is a place. All right. The devil, I want you to think about this statement. The devil deceived a third of the angels that were in the presence of God. I want you just to think about that statement right there alone. These angels were in heaven, in the presence of God, standing before God Almighty, right? I'm, I'm, I, think about this. They're looking with their own eyes. They are seeing God Almighty. The devil deceived a third of the angels in the presence of God. So imagine the power he has over a mere man who spends less time in the presence of God than angels. We ready for this? You get where I'm, you get where I'm going. And here's the thing is it's, it's a fight to get to church once a week. These angels were living in the presence of God. So what I'm wanting you to understand is if the devil had that kind of power to deceive, how much easier, how much easier is it for us to be deceived? A lot of times we, we think, well, I'm a Christian, so that doesn't happen. And we actually cause ourselves to fall into self-deception. We think that we're immune to the devil's schemes because we go to church, Right? Well, I'm, I'm a Christian, so then we think that we're immune to his deceitfulness because we go to church, because we're a Christian, because we were baptized, because we teach a Sunday school class, because we're on a worship team, or we're a leader, or a minister. Even ministers think, well, hey, I'm a minister, I'm a pastor. They were angels. <laughs> if you think that you are immune, you have deceived yourself, and the devil didn't even have to beat you, you beat yourself. A lot of us are deceiving ourselves. We've tricked 
ourselves. And he didn't even have to work at it. The word deception is the act of causing someone to accept as true or valid what is false and invalid. You see, the devil seeks to get you to believe something about yourself that's not true. Case in point, I think the greatest deception the devil's ever pulled on people that might even be bigger than causing people to not think he exists is this. When we begin to think that we're not good enough. When you believe you're not good enough, you believe you're, you're, you're unworthy, that you can't be forgiven. How many of you have ever struggled with those thoughts? How many of you have ever believed it? You actually for a moment believed, I'm not good enough. That's a lie straight from the pits of hell. That's deception. The devil got you to believe what's not true. So what we're going to do is we're going through these different steps. And what we're doing is we're saying, I'm putting an end to the devil's scheme in my life. I'm putting an end to buying into the lie. I'm going to stop believing what is false. I don't want to be deceived. Does any of you guys want to be deceived? Then stop it. Like, easier said than done, Pastor. All right. So let me take you through a couple of passages. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in who? His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle. Everybody say our. is not against flesh and blood. Your battle is not with your wife. Your battle's not with your kids or your husband or the neighbor next door. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people, but against rulers, against authorities, against powers of this dark world, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes... See, it doesn't say... If the day of evil comes, does it? It says, when. Guys, there's a day coming. It's coming. Will you be able to stand when the day comes? Or will you be fallen? Put on the full armor of God so that. That's the reason. Why do I put on the full armor of God? Not just part of the full, part of the armor. I put on the full armor of God so that when the day comes, I'm able to stand. And after you have done everything to stand. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, it says this, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Here's what I'm wanting you to see from both passages. When we think about, let me go backwards. Yeah, look at that. When we think about this, whose mighty power are we dealing with? God's, right? Who, the devil, the, the, we stand against the devil's what? His schemes, his plans, his plots, right? The battle's not against who? Flesh and blood, right? Then who is it against? The devil and his evil forces, the third of the angels that we just talked to became de demonic, right? Demons, they fall an angel as a demon. So that's who it is. 
Over here, the weapons we fight with are mighty in who? They're not mighty in Daniel. They're not mighty in you, right? They're, these are divine. If they have divine power, it's mighty in God. See, the thing that I need you to understand is that if you have bad thoughts in your mind, if you're battling with depression, discouragement, if you're battling with addiction, whatever your fight is that you have, there is a way to defeat it, but it's not in your strength. It's not in your power. It's in a divine power. The divine power comes from God Almighty. And what do these weapons from God do? They demolish strongholds. You see, when I said the first step to defeating or breaking or destroying a, a demonic stronghold is to admit that there is one. So if I'm struggling with addiction, if I'm struggling with depression, if I'm struggling with discouragement, I'm struggling, whatever you're struggling with, understand that the devil's been building a fortress in your head and it's time for that to come out. It's time for that to be broken down, but you don't have the strength to do it. How many of you have tried on your own and failed? Right? I can't do it because I don't have divine power to do it. As you see, the stronghold, I, I didn't build the stronghold because the battle's not against flesh and blood. Uh, it's not God. God didn't bring, build a stronghold against me. He's the one that's here to demolish it. You see, the devil's been building something in your mind and in your heart for probably years, and we've just let him do it. What I'm wanting us to understand is that we need to take this one step at a time, and we need to just start pulling down all of those strongholds, and we need to live in the freedom that's already been purchased. It's already there. Jesus isn't dying on the cross the second time. He already did it, and he said, it is finished. It's finished. The victory has already been paid for. We keep walking in bondage when there's already freedom. It's kind of like we put ourselves in a jail cell. The door's wide open, but we're still trying to put pictures on the wall in there. We don't, we don't have to be there anymore. So last week... We played, uh, we played, stop playing the victim. That's step one. What I'm wanting you guys to see is that these are walking in kind of an order. I, 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 I need you, if you missed last week's message, go back and listen to it. And let me tell you how easy it is. How many of you have a phone? Whew. All right. So some of you are lying. That's okay. And most of those phones that you have are smart. Smartphones, Right. Here's the deal is we have an awesome church app that you can download on your phone. And guess what? We have a welcome table in the back that will help you download it if you don't know how. Mike, we, got, we can hook you up, brother. He's like, I, he's like, I don't know what. Just hand us the phone, open it up, and we'll get her done. But here's the deal. This app is a church app. It tells you when all of our events are coming up. It allows you to sign up for things. And you know what? When you hit the more button, it goes in there, and you can listen to all the past sermons. So if you missed last week, you can just get that app downloaded and you got it right there. And then you'll have this one and the next one and the next one and the next one. So what I'm wanting you to understand is if you missed last week, we need to go back. We need to make sure that I'm done playing a victim because I want you to hear me on this. You can never move forward and walk in the victory that God's already paid for if you continue to be a victim in the past. That's what we talked about last week. 
right? I, I can't, I can't, can't be living like, oh, woe is me and how terrible my life is and live and be a victim. You can't be a victim and the victor. You can't have it both. So some of us are going to have to make the decision of I'm done being the victim because I'm done with feeling sorry for myself. I'm done living in the pit and I want to go praise God on the mountain. So today, today's passage that we are going to be working with is out of Matthew chapter 17. It says this, And when they had come to the multitude, Jesus and and three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, um, he came down. When they came down, I'll tell you about where they were in a little bit. A man came to him, kneeling down to him, and he said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and he suffers severely. And he often falls into the fire or often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured that very hour. Then Jesus' disciples, or then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? And he said, Because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have the faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Hmm, right? This is going to be a good one, right? All right, so today's focus we're going to be looking at is the divine power where does, this, where does the power come from? Where does, how do we overcome these things in our lives when, when the devil's attacking us and we're under attack and our family's under attack or, or, or my mental state's under attack? Whatever it is, how do I fight back? Where does that power come from? And here's the deal. We, we kind of know where the power comes from, right? We've already been saying it. And, and you know, like, well, Daniel, that's a pretty simple truth. But the application of that truth is hard, isn't it? We, we, we can often know where that power comes from, but a lot, how, much, how much of the time are we really spending seeking it? See what I'm saying? Is I may know something, but it doesn't mean I do something. So what we want to do is we want to start building some application of how can I draw into the presence of God. And the problem is, is too many Christians are not willing to do it. We know it, but we just don't want to do it. Be ye doers of the word and not mere hearers only. So what we don't see in this passage that we just read is the context. What we don't see is, is we see that the, they, they showed up and there's a multitude. So what I want to do is I want to walk you through the first 13 verses. We're not going to read them. I'm just going to kind of let you know what's taking place out of Matthew 17. Go back and check me out. Make sure that I'm doing the right things. But Jesus took Peter, James, and John high up on a mountain by themselves. I want you to think about something here. He only took the three. If you were going somewhere and you were willing to take one or two or three and somebody else really wanted to go, would you take them too? Like if I'm going to say, hey, um, to a couple of my kids, hey, you guys want to come with me? And then the other one's like, please, Dad, don't leave me behind, right? Most of them I'm like, well, come on, you know, more the merrier, you know. So, so, so the thing is, I want you to realize Peter, James, and John went high up on the mountains with Jesus. They were all by themselves, which means that the remaining nine disciples were left down the mountain to continue doing the ministry, right? While up on the mountain, Jesus was transfigured. The word is 
metamorphome, it means a, a change in appearance. Jesus' countenance, his, his figure changed, whether he began to glow before them or, 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 or a light shine was around them, but something happened and he changed before their eyes. While this took place, just to let you know, while this took place, uh, Moses and Elijah showed up. Peter, being the mouthy one of the group, hey, let's build a structure for all of us. We'll live here. At the same time when he was about to speak and he was talking about this, a voice from heaven. Who do you think that is? A voice from heaven. God Almighty. Can you imagine hearing not the soft whisper of a voice, but you could hear God Almighty and be in that kind of a... And this is what God Almighty said. This is my Son, whom I love, and with Him I am well pleased. Listen to Him. Can you imagine that? And the the story accounts that they just fell down. The moment that God's voice shows up, they hit the floor. Faces down, I'm done. You know, like... Well, I don't, even, I, I don't even want to, if I see God, it's just like in Isaiah 6, if my eyes see God, I'm dead. So they just fall to the ground, right? This is that, that context. So here's what I'm wanting you to, to see is that while, while Peter, James, and John were on this mountain with Jesus, they're hearing from God Almighty, the other nine disciples were in the valley of failure. There's two things happening in this story, and if you don't understand the context, we miss the power of what's happening. Three disciples go up. They're hearing from God Almighty. They took a break from ministry. They got away from from the the craziness of life, and they said, God, I want to be alone with you. They got alone with God. They heard from God, and the others stayed down. The mountain not with Jesus. You get what I'm saying? As Jesus went up on the mountain, he's like, I'm going to get out. We're going to go take a break. The other's like, we got this. We got this. Sounds like a lot of Christians. I got this. Oh, you you got this? You going to do what? All right. So now we're going to, so I want you to see the the context just makes this so amazing. So, um, all right. So here we go. First, when they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus, and he knelt. So we're going back to the story. He knelt before him, and he said, Lord, have mercy on my son. He said, he has seizures and is suffering greatly. And he often falls into the fire or into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. So this, we're continuing to look at this context, right? So what happened is, the context is, there's nine disciples, not one. The three didn't stay down. There was nine of them. Not one of the nine disciples could heal him. But I want you to think about the disciples. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus gave them the authority to do what? Heal the sick. Drive out the demons. Preach the gospel. So did they not have authority now? They still, he didn't, there's no passage that says, I'm taking it back. I'm going to give it, no, I'm taking it back. There was no point in the Bible where he took it away from them. Right? They still have the, the same commission that God gave them. Here's the deal is they had done this. They had seen this. 
we got to figure out what's different. And we're going to get to that. He goes, I brought him to the disciples. They could not heal him. Well, the moment that they said that, <laughs> Jesus gives a public rebuke. I never, I never want to be the receiver of one of those. I mean, think about this. So Jesus and the three come down. They just had a conversation with God Almighty up on the mountaintop. That's pretty amazing. And the first thing, they come down the mountain, and now they're in the valley of failure and chaos, and everybody, I brought them to your disciples, and they couldn't do anything, you know. And then Jesus replies, you unbelieving and perverse generation. That's a, that's a pretty hard statement, isn't it? I mean, you start thinking about how, who, who's he speaking to. I mean, we want to just throw everybody in this statement, but who were the ones that couldn't heal them? Can you imagine being a minister in a church <laughs> and the preacher getting up and you unbelieving and perverse person? Would that, I mean, that would probably be pretty, be pretty offensive. Wouldn't it? Somebody, if somebody kind of called you out and said you unbelieving, and the word perverse is not often how we translate it in, 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 in you know, here. We often, in our terms, we, we, we think that it, it means like a, a, a sexual, lustful perversion. Perversion means to twist the original. Perversion means to twist that. So you're twisting the truth. You're twisting what God created man and woman to be, right? It's a perversion is to twist the original intent. So if God created a man and a woman, and it's a man with a man, that's a perversion. You twisted what God intended. The moment you say, well, I don't know if I want to be a boy or a girl, you're perverting, you're twisting. You see what I'm saying is you're twisting God's intent with this. That's what perversion means is to twist that. If God says that you were fearfully and wonderfully made, you pervert the truth by saying, I'm not good enough. So what he's saying is, you perverted this situation. You've twisted something up here. That would be pretty, as a, being a teacher, if somebody said you perverted the truth, that would be pretty tough to swallow, wouldn't it? See, Jesus is calling out the disciples publicly right here. That's a lot of times, I mean, I, I can't tell us how many times I, I, you know, somebody's like, well, man, have you been reading my mail? No. God knows what everybody wants. My job, I think what, what I try to do is simplify what, what my responsibility is, is, is this, is go, okay, God, they're your, your people, so it's your mess. <laughs> These are, but what do they need to hear from you? And God, I just want to stay out of the way. So then I just start listening, and God brings these stories, and I start looking at them, and it just starts coming, to, coming together. And that's why I just try to stay out of the way. But that's the, that's the whole thing, is that a lot of times we, we are getting a public rebuke. And, and it's just not saying your name. He didn't say their names either. But sometimes we get here and we kind of have a little bit of a public rebuke, don't we? We feel like our, our toes are stepped on. But here's the deal. Just like Pastor Paul said earlier, we don't grow if we're not challenged. 
and we're not stretched and we're not taken out of a comfort zone. If, if every sermon was just to made you feel, feel like nothing needed to change in your life, you probably would not be growing, would you? But when we go, oh, every week there's something, there's something, because there's always something. So it led into the very next verse, we see a private conversation. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately, and they said, why could we not cast it out? Why couldn't we do it? How many times have we failed and we wish we, we knew why? Right? Man, I tried that, that didn't work. I tried this, it didn't work. I tried this, it didn't work. How many times do we keep making the same mistake because we don't know what the problem is? You know, insanity is, it's said that insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over and expecting different results. See, what Jesus, they came to him and I was like, why couldn't we do it? We've done it before. Why couldn't we do it now? And isn't that a good question? Look, I've done this before. It used to work, but this time it didn't. You see, what's about to happen is they're finally about to get to the root of the problem. Now, I don't see Zeb here today to make fun of me, but I always say this, 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 this quote all the time. If there's a problem with the fruit, check the root. It rhymes. You'll remember it. It's corny, and usually corny things we remember, but there's so much truth in this. You see, we spend so much time trying to pluck the fruit out of the tree that we don't like. So when I lose my temper and I holler at my kids or my wife, I try to pluck that fruit out. I don't like that one. I don't like anger. I don't like discouragement. I don't like the depression. I don't like the alcohol. I don't like the drugs. I don't like the jealousy. And what we do is we spend all this time in the tree trying to pluck out the fruit we don't like. But guess what? Don't the fruit keep coming back? Do you know why the fruit just keeps coming back? You pluck, pluck the anger off, and a week later, you're angry again. And, and then you, you pluck off the jealousy, and you do good for a couple of days, and then it, it comes back because you haven't fixed the problem. The problem is in the root. The problem is deep down. And, and so here's the deal. Is we're, we spend all of our time doing this that we never check the root. Bad fruit comes from a bad root. So what's in your heart? What's in your heart that you haven't dealt with? Maybe the anger you're dealing with and having and experiencing is something you never resolved from your childhood. Maybe the, the jealousy that you're dealing with right now that you don't like in your life, maybe that's stemming from a, a, a broken, fractured relationship that you haven't dealt with. You see, what happens is we have all this fruit that we don't want anymore, but we're not really willing to do the work to get into our, our hearts and the root of this and really deal with it. So we keep trying to put rules and boundaries in our lives to try to fix this problem without actually fixing the problem. So what's about to happen is like, why couldn't we do this? And Jesus is probably thinking, do you really want to know? Because how many of us kind of sit there and say, I just want the problem fixed. Can we just pluck the bad fruit out and then eat the good stuff? And when he's like, we, we need to really do some work on this root. You know, the unwanted fruit with them was the inability to heal someone. It was the lack of power. It was, it was the embarrassment of failure. I know my greatest fear was failure. Still is. I don't, I don't, I don't have it as often anymore. Um, 
But I remember going to a pastor's conference and they said, you know, look at the pastor next to you and just right now tell him what your greatest fear is. And before I could shut my mouth, because it, it was always flapping, I said, fear of failure. Yep, that's it. It's out. You know, I was uh, af- afraid of failing as a husband, failing as a father, failing as a pastor. I mean, you, you name it. I was so afraid of failing that I just would, was willing to work harder than anyone else to not fail. I figured, well, if I just work harder than anyone else is willing to work, I probably won't fail as bad. I might fail, but it won't be that bad of a failure. I was just so glad that I was not so afraid of failure that I was, not a, I was never afraid to, afraid to try something new. But the thing is, is that these disciples had to come in you know, the, the root of the problem was not their power. The, 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 pro, the fruit, it, it wasn't, you know, the, the root issue here was not power or inability or pressure to succeed. The root of their problem was faith. And Jesus answered them in Matthew 17. He said, Jesus said to them, this is a private conversation. They waited. After they got publicly rebuked, they weren't going to ask then. They're like, let's just let things simmer down. And then now everybody's gone. And they said, why couldn't we do it? And he said, because of your unbelief. And he says, if you had the faith the size of a mustard seed. Now, I want you guys to think about that. You know how big a mustard seed is? It's tiny. It is the smallest of all fruit-giving trees. I mean, it is the smallest. He says, if you have faith that big. I'm sitting here going, are you trying to tell me that they didn't have faith that big? Because they had done miracles in the past, more miracles than we've ever done. I mean, if you start thinking about their mission trip and how many miracles happened on that mission trip, are we saying that they don't believe in God that much? See, here's the thing. He's trying to teach them something even more that even goes beyond uh, something that, that, that our faith is, is lacking. Here's the deal is I know in my head that God is able. Amen? There's not a question in our minds, right? God, you can, right? Don't we? God, you can. But we struggle in faith with God, will you? Right? How many of you believe with every ounce in your body that God split the Red Sea? And that he can still do it today? Really, that's it? Out of the whole body here, that's, that's all the belief that he actually... Do we need to start from Genesis and just read? God did it. He did it. And he can do it again. But we struggle in our faith saying, God, will you do it for me? See, the deception that the devil's gotten you to believe is that you're no good. So if I think that I'm no good, then I'm going to question, will God do it for me? God, will you do this for me? God, will... He died on the cross for you. He died on the cross for you. So why wouldn't he? The question that I began to, when I looked at this, because I keep going back to Matthew 10, I keep going back to the mission trip that he sent them on, and I said, do they have less faith now than they did then? No, I would say that they believe more about God now than they did then. Wouldn't you agree? They probably believe more, but faith is a multifaceted deal and not just, just a belief. But I guarantee they believe more. 
Do you think that this miracle required more faith than the other? No, faith is faith, right? So there's got to be something missing here. Hmm. There's got to be something missing. So here's, let's, let's do a quick little exercise here because I, I'm looking at it. I don't think that they, that, that they needed more faith than, than what they had, but I do think that there was something wrong with their, with their faith. So how do we grow our faith? So this is something, if you're like, how do I grow it? I'm going to give you a, a one, two, three, and a four. You're going to have four, all right? Four things. I'm going to show you in the Word how to grow our faith. Number one is this. By hearing the Word of God, and it comes from Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing, and what? Hearing the Word of God. So that when you're in the Word of God, you are growing your faith. The problem with a lot of Christians today is we have very small faith because we are not willing to get into the Word of God. And the only time that we get fed is when we show up on a Sunday morning and we don't take notes and we don't remember anything. And then two days later when we're trying, like, that was a good sermon. I don't remember what it, what it was, a passage that he was teaching on. You see Pastor Paul and you see me and you see my wife. One of the things that we're constantly doing, you will see us writing down everything because we want to go back and study it again. Get a notebook, be a student, learn and grow and write things down that mean something. Or go back, if you like to, like maybe you just like to, hey, I just like listening here, go back and listen to it again. Take some notes then when, when no one else is around. But here's the thing is, faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God. Number two, by enduring trials and tribulations, Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7, he said, there is a wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine or real. It is being tested, it, the faith, your faith is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold, so when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed. See, here's the thing is, you want to know if somebody has faith, just watch them when life falls apart. I mean, let's be real. It's easy to have faith when, 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 when it's sunny, Right? What about having faith when you're diagnosed with cancer? Where's your faith when someone you love is sick and there's not a good diagnosis going on? Where's your faith when you lose your home? Where's your faith when you lose your job? You see, what he's saying is this. Your, your, your faith is growing, and here's the deal. is The only way that I know that your faith is real is when it's tested by fire. Sadly, so many Christians become the victim when the fire comes. Right? Oh, feel sorry for me rather than huh, part of life. I was driving my redhead. I, I picked my, my daughter up from the gas station. We're driving down the road, and I only had like six miles to tell her that her dad broke her vehicle that she just bought <laughs> with sheep. And so don't feel too bad for her um, anyways. But she's like, what do you do? You know, and so I'm like, like I'm, I'm pulling out of a bank and the, 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 I don't even know what happened, but it just like the, the left side and it's like, it ain't going. 
And so I, I look at that, I'm like, huh. And most amazing thing, a, a, a homeless guy that had been on the, on the corner, you know, um, asking for, for help, he comes by and he goes, would you like some McDonald's, sir? I see that, you, I see that your tire's broken. I'm like, man, thank you. I said, no, I'm, I'm good, man. You know, and I was just looking at this going, you know, I could sit here and kick the tire. I could be upset. I could be like, oh, what's this going to cost me? Or don't we, we have a habit of looking at the trial instead of looking at God above the trial. Like, this is just another opportunity. I got to go in there and talk to the, 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 the people who towed my car away. I got two conversations I get to throw Jesus in the middle of. Praise God, right? I got two conversations. Hey, you got a church you go to? Hey, I love when, when you are able to have a bad experience in your life and you can still praise God in it, that's faith. Well, I think that the disciples are, are two for two so far, right? I mean, they've been hearing the words of Jesus. The words of God is not their problem, right? And number two, have they endured over trials? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. None of them quit when the, when, the, when the going gets tough, right? So then let's do this, putting faith into action. We know that in the book of James, chapter 2, it says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? In the same way... Faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. Well, they're down there working. The works is not their problem, so now the disciples are three for three. They shouldn't be having a problem. Unless maybe there's something else. Huh. I don't know. Maybe by being in the presence of God. I want you to check this out. In the last verse of our story, Jesus made this little statement there that just... However, he goes, your unbelief is the problem. However, this kind does not go out except prayer and fasting. Now, does that mean that I have to try to figure out which circumstance demands which things? Or maybe I need to understand what prayer is. Right? You know, think about these three disciples. They were up on a mountain alone with God in the presence of God. The others stayed behind. When we read the first passages that we were dealing with, whose divine power am I tapping into to to break any demonic strongholds? God's. Surely you have never worked your problems on your own without the power of God. or Surely you've never tried to do it on your own. I mean... I know, our, I know that when I was a teenager, I'm like, I don't need your help. I hear my kids saying that all the time. I'm like, <laughs> I don't need your help. I'm like, good, you do it by yourself. That's not what I was saying, Dad. That's exactly what you're saying. And now you get to do the whole kitchen all by yourself. Maybe if you pray and change your attitude, Jesus will join you. But the work is all by yourself. Maybe you'll treat your brother nicer next time, you know, so... Here's the thing is that we do the same things our kids do. Guess who they learned it from, parents? Uh-huh, uh-huh. I'm telling you, all the, when you look at your kids and, and you see all the messed up stuff they're doing, just look in the mirror and know where that old, come on, right? <laughs> I know how to get Pastor Paul worked up. All right, so, I'm, I, I, guys, this is, this, is, this is huge. When I start thinking about 
you know, I have all this knowledge and I know what God's word says. I know what it says about healing. I know what it says about this. And I could quote scriptures and I could jump to the scriptures. The, the knowledge and understanding, my faith, man, I'll tell you what, I know the word of God. I understand it. I accept it. I live it. And then I start thinking, well, I'm not afraid to work it. I, I, hey, you know what? I've gone through a lot of trials in my life and held my faith together. This one's hard. It's hard to get alone with God in the crazy, busy life that we allowed into our home. Right? When your alarm goes off, what's the first thing that you pick up? Our phones. What's the first thing we start tapping into? Right? Wonder if anybody commented on this. I wonder if anybody liked this. Wonder maybe you're maybe you're not social media me. Uh, on the other hand, what my first thing that I've been doing is: Is it going to rain today? Eighty-eight <laughs> percent. So no, uh, clearly. Like one day it was ninety-seven percent. I'm like yes and no. I was the three. So. What I'm wanting you guys to see is that sometimes we wake up in our first moments of the day, we're already tapping into the world. Hmm? And then we wonder why the world is having such an impact in our life. Maybe we don't have any power in our life because we're tapped in to the wrong things. Hmm? Come on, right? Let's be honest. All right? So I want you to hear this. This was a great, uh, I got to pull this out of a commentary. It says, in this passage, a, com uh, a commentary said this, it's not about the prayer and the fasting as the means of expelling the demon, but rather that the disciples needed to be in the presence of the one who has the power to expel the demon. You see, what, what was happening is we can look at that and go, okay, so this, what I, okay, so, so I, 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 you know, resisted the devil in the name of Jesus. That didn't work here in this case. So now it's, oh, it's prayer and fasting. This isn't about a recipe. That's what he's trying to say is it's not about the prayer and fasting as the means. It's about getting into the presence of the one who has the means. Faith has nothing to do with my ability and everything about the belief about the one who has the ability. It's not about me or what I think I can do or what I think I can't do. In fact, prayer is an exercise of faith. I want you to think about this when we were, we were talking about, you know, the disciples were talking about healing and why couldn't we do this. Check out another passage in the book of James says this, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call of the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. What he's saying is, hey, you're trying to do this in your own strength, and guess what? You don't have any. Quit doing it on your own. And I love this. I picked this up along the way. Uh, I love 
evangelism, and I, I know that Carolyn Routon will write this one down. Um, evangelism is merely gathering the results of your prayer life. A lot of times we're like, we want the church to grow. Are we praying for growth? I want my friend to get saved. Are you praying for your friend? You see, what I'm saying is, is that prayer is us tapping into the presence of God who has the power to do what is needed to be done. So my question to you today is, who are you tapped into? See, a lot of us are tapped out. You know, we're just like, I'm done. I can't do this. I, I love when people come to that place of where they're finally done. I can't do this anymore. Well, it's about time. How many years has this taken you? Right? I mean, come on, let's be serious. You keep trying it. You keep trying. I can do it on my own. And some of you are really stubborn and you just went a lot longer than you needed to. But it's a beautiful thing the moment when we come to the end of ourselves because that's where you find God when you come to the end of yourself. So here's what I, how do we, how do we get tapped into God is this, prayer and fasting. Prayer is having an honest conversation with God. It's, it's taking time away from the world, getting away from him and shutting the stuff off. Turn your TV off. Turn the radio off. Put everything else on hold for a little while. Guess what? Your life is never not going to be busy. You know, I thought when the summer came, I was like, well, this is great. I'm going to say things are going to slow down. No, because I didn't have a plan. Everything got busier. I'm like, I don't like this. I want school to start again. And when school gets going and it gets busy, I'm like, I want summer to get here. But guess what I've just realized is this. Life is just going to be busy. It's in the world that we live in. It's just busy. It's, it's hectic. It's crazy. Here's the deal. I need to get away from that. Jesus did. He's God. If he needed to, so do we. We need to take an example from him and get away. Get away from the craziness. You need it every day. You need every day to get away. That might mean that you might need to go to bed a little earlier, and you might need to get up a little earlier. Like, usually about 8 o'clock, I'm like, honey, is it too early to go to bed? I know that I'm only 43, but is it too early? I know that that's what old people are supposed to say, but I love saying it. It feels good. And like, I like going to bed early. She likes to get up early. See, you know, like, I read, the, read this book on dating once, <laughs> once, and, and it was like trying to figure out, you know, you're trying to figure out the, the, the person that you're dating. Are they an early bird or a night owl? And, I, and they did not give the option of which I am. I'm a nine to fiver. Um, I'm just kidding. I could not sleep till nine. It would, it, oh my goodness, I couldn't do it. But, but I, like Barbara, she could get up at three o'clock in the morning and just like, it's like this little bird that's tweeting and beautiful and she's just like floating and, and, and like my alarm goes off at like five and I'm like, <sighs> like coffee, you know, like my wife is so wonderful. She comes and brings me this like cup and she just sets it by, you know, like my alarm goes off and then she just like walks by and she like drops it off and like drink some of that and change your attitude. And I'm just like, why is it so bright? You know, but here's the thing is the reason why we do this, 
The reason why we do this is that we want to start our day in the presence of God. Because I can't imagine facing the day any other way. But some of us, we're getting up so late, your day's already going. And so you didn't even plan to spend any time with God. You got to plan for that. That means that you got to go to bed earlier so you can get up earlier. Guys, you don't need nine hours of sleep. You don't need eight. You don't need seven. Seven's nice. Seven's nice. But you don't have to have seven. But you have to have God. Fasting. Most Christians don't want to do this. And yet, Jesus, is. he said, when you fast... In Matthew 6, when you, not if you fast, when you fast. The, the Jews during that time, they would fast every single week. Every week they were fasting. Fasting is to withhold something from your life for a period of time to devote yourself to God. It was an act of devotion. It was saying, God, you're more important than this in my life. Now, at that time, there wasn't the, probably the highlight of most of the people's di- the life, life during that time was food. So food was always something that they were fasting from. But I want you to hear me. There's all kinds of things that we need to be fasting from. The easiest way to know is like, God, what do I need to fast from is ask yourself what's taking up the most of your time. So can we do an experiment, a spiritual experiment can we be scientists for just a minute? How many of you is willing to do this before I even tell you what it is? Sweet. Sweet, 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 sweet. All right. All right, there we go. Okay, so here's the thing. Here, here, he knows where I'm going. So here's the deal. Here's, here's, our, here's our spiritual experiment, all right? Spiritual experiment. Let's do this. Okay. Let's fast all week from social media. That's Facebook, Snapchat, all of those things. Okay, let's fast from it. Now, I'm going to make one caveat here as I have tidbits that I have to teach every, every, every week. But I promise I will only do that and I will shut it off for those who are not enjoying this experiment. But I feel like I should teach the Word of God. But that I will not look at anything. I will record it and I will shut it off. So I do want you to like, oh, you're not doing it. I'm going to do that. Fast from, let's fast from... That snap, whatever, all of those things. You guys know what they are. Come on. TikTok, all of those things. The reels that are on, whatever. Let's fast from all of those for seven days. Come back. I want to see what's, what worship's like next week, right? All of us doing that. Unless some of you are like, well, I'm not doing that. But anyways, you're lost. You're lost. Let's also fast from um, hmm, uh, secular music. The only music that we're allowed to listen to for the week is Christian, which some of you are already doing. You're like... Easy, I'm already on it. All right? Check. Great. All right. Let's also commit that every day this week we're going to spend time right out of the gate. I know some people like, I like to do my devotions at night. Do it. But do it twice. Wake up a little earlier and say, God, you're the first thing I'm meeting with every single morning this week. I don't care if I'm running late to work. They can write me up. God, I'm meeting with you first. I'm starting my day with the Lord. Now, from there, 
go crazy. Maybe you might say, hey, this is going to be a, I'm only watching Christian movies this week. I'm only going to do this this week. I'm going to do, there's all kinds of fasting. Maybe you have uh, a problem with sugar and you're going to say, I'm fasting from sugar for this week. I'm fasting from soda this week. Whatever the problem that is getting in the way of you being who God wants you to be, I'm asking you to take a break from it for seven days and say, God, I want to be in your presence. And I want you to see what God will do in your life this week. Will we do that together? Uh, and then you know what's going to happen when we get here next week? Ooh, we're going to feel some power in this place. So here's what we're going to do. I want you to go ahead and bow your heads. And my favorite time of every single week comes to this place, comes to this very place of where we we hear God's word, and now we get to make decisions. We, we get to, you get to decide. You can say no. You can say yes. It's your choice. God doesn't take your choice away from you. This is that opportunity of where we can bring some things to the table. Maybe today is a great day for you to say, you know what, God, I have not been seeking your presence. Maybe Sundays are the only day that you've been seeking the presence of God and you know there's something lacking in your daily life. Maybe this is that day where you're making a commitment to him. You don't have to get up, but you sure can. Maybe God's saying, hey, I want you to lay your phone down like my friend did. Maybe he's saying, I need you to lay some things down right now that are getting between me and you. Now, you got to take your phones back with you, but metaphorically, you can lay them down. Unless you're just going to donate them to the church. Here's the deal, guys. This is that chance before we walk back into the world. This is that chance where we get to make real life choices. This is where change happens. This is the moment where change happens in a service. And so many churches don't do it. We hear a sermon and we walk out the door. This is the moment for change. If God is pushing you and nudging you, you get up and you move. You be obedient to him. Not to me or to living water or anything else. You be obedient to him. If he's saying get up and lay it down, then you get up and you lay it down. Here's the deal. Maybe there's somebody here today that has not given their life to the Lord. They have not surrendered their life. They have not been redeemed. And they're sitting here and they're like, I want to. I'm going to be right over here to the side. And I would love to introduce you to Jesus. So if you need salvation, you need to be saved, you need to be forgiven, you need to give your life to Jesus, you make sure that you don't leave this place doing that. The altar is open. Thank you.